I've lived in New Jersey my entire life, and I've been involved in lots of arts, acting, writing. I even married a musician. But a lot of people don't think New Jersey is known for arts and culture. Well, they're wrong. And my goal is to introduce everyone to the most talented people I know. They're singers, they're writers, they're musicians, they're actors, they're chefs, they're martial artists, they're everything you can imagine, and they're going to be on my show. Every one of them. Well, maybe not every one of them, but a lot of them. So they're in New Jersey, and maybe they're not so famous, but maybe they should be. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Not So Famous in New Jersey. I'm back. I had a little time off for illness and some political campaigning, but I'm back on track and happy to be with you today with my latest guest. I don't see many horror films. In fact, it took me years before I could see The Exorcist. But my guest today, Doug Bollinger, may be a familiar name to those of you who are aficionados of the horror film genre. Doug is an educator, actor, and filmmaker best known for his award-winning horror films, which include The Samaritans, Rock, Paper, Scissors, and The Evangelist. But he also has an impressive CV of acting credits. And he's worked as a director and producer on several films as well. We have an interesting conversation that goes in a lot of directions. And he offers some excellent advice for those of you who may be considering filmmaking. Hello, Doug. Hi, how's it going? Thanks Good. for having me. I've never met you before, so this is <laughs> this is nice. Let's start by quickly listing your credits. You directed, I think, ten films. You've produced at least six. You've written five. You've acted in... I don't know how many, maybe a dozen films, and you're a filmmaker. Have I missed anything? I actually started as a as a first assistant director, and uh, I knew very little about that. That was my first job in film. I didn't even know what that was, so that was my first job. Which of those roles would you say you're the happiest in? Oh, that's a great question, and I think it depends on the project. So, for example, if it's someone else's uh, story that they created, and they just bring me in as an actor... I love it because it's their thing. I can just come in and do my job. So I like having a singular focus, especially when I'm an actor. But I think if I had to choose one, it would probably be writing because I can do that alone. But all the other ones, you can't do that alone. This last project that I've done, it was a 50-50 deal with my writing partner, Josh Lee. It was the first one that we worked on together. So that was a clear partnership on other things that I wrote on my own, like the Samaritans. I like that too, because I'm the one making all the choices. And I know that everything there on the page is, is because of me. And I do like both. I think it depends on the mood I'm in. So most actors that I know act in addition to having a real job. You're a teacher, you're an educator, and it is still connected to the theater world because you, you work in the arts. So I work in a performing arts high school in Ocean County, and it's a great setup. It's part of the vocational school system there. So it's all students from Ocean County that want to be involved in the arts in some capacity or at least have a love for the arts. Not all of them go on to make this a career. But that brings me to a really great side job or a day job or backup, whatever you want to call it. We had a guest artist come in, a voiceover guest artist, and the way he put it to the kids was this, and I love, I, I always encourage them to listen to different voices other than mine in the classroom, and I teach acting and film. And he said to them, once you decide where the arts fits in your life, you're really going to be more likely to be happy. And, and the way he described it was, here are the three categories. At some point, we decide, and is it a hobby? And if it's a hobby, cool. You can sell insurance or be an electrician and then work in community theater and have fun and enjoy it and work on your passion. Is it part-time? Have you actually created something that has a supplemental income? 
Or is it full-time? Is it the thing paying your mortgage? Is it the thing feeding your pets? And I think quite often artists get caught up and not sure which they want to do. And so for me, I've kind of found this nice part-time niche where I know that I could pay my bills with a job that I also love, by the way. And I can continue to, to tell stories and make a little money off it if I'm lucky. Yeah, a friend of mine who I interviewed uh, previously, Diana McCory, she went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts because she wanted to be an actor. That was her thing. She started auditioning and she's like, I don't, I don't really like this. <laughs> she, she didn't really like being in front of an audience. Yeah. Know? So she ended up writing. She writes, she's a really successful television writer now. You could spend as much time in the classroom and listening to people that have done it and, and tell you about it. But until you're in it, until you're doing it, how are you going to know where it fits for you? It, can it be the full-time thing for you? That's a, that's the toughest decision. When you decide, hey, this thing, whatever it is, acting, music, sculpture, mm -hmm. this thing that I'm passionate about, this art, I want this to pay my bills. Then you have to do different things if you want it to be your hobby. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. I've found that when people are doing an art and their goal is to make money, it's a whole different thing. If you're doing it because you just really love doing it, first of all, you enjoy it more. Sure. And it's a whole different outcome. There is, and there are, there's a different path depending on what you want it to be. And I don't ask my students to decide, hey, decide if you want to be famous and yeah. make money, or do you just love this and want to keep doing it? You don't have to decide now. Right. You'll decide yeah. at some point. But like I said, I mean, I've done community theater and love it, and I know people that have day jobs, policemen, mm -hmm. teachers, et cetera, that get involved and have been involved in community theater and absolutely love it. It feeds their creative monster, and they have found the niche for them. Mm -hmm. And the ones that make it their living, they have that as well, but then they have this additional element of treating it like your business. You, ha it, it, you have to. And the greatest example of that was another guest artist in our high school. Freddie Walker, who's in the original cast of Rent, also mm -hmm. Jersey. That's somebody you should talk oh. to. She's wonderful. She came in as a guest artist and she had a spreadsheet with uh, her first 100 auditions or something like that and had notes about the time of day, what she wore, et cetera, et cetera, the building that it was in and, and really treated it like a science and, and discovered after 100 auditions or so that a certain thing that she wore and in certain buildings, she got better results and, and ultimately landed on the conclusion that when she was more comfortable, whether she knew the building or was comfortable in what she was wearing, she got better results. So treating it like a business, and that's one of those eye-opening things. Kids, do you want to do this to pay your bills? Treat it like a business, mm -hmm. and, and, and you have a, a, a better opportunity to succeed. Yeah. What was your role in creating the movie The Evangelist, other than as an actor? I'm enthralled by serial killers, and I've read probably about 100 books about actual serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> about 25, 30 years ago before I joined the force, it was a slew of killings, stabbings, mutilation, torture. And right beside each body was a Bible, open to Romans 12, 19. Mr. Dorian, do you recall the uh, evangelist murders happened in this area about 25 years ago? They ever catch the guy? No, the killing stopped, case went cold. Everybody figured the guy just died or got busted on something else that was rotten away in prison. So you think this is a copycat killer? When a guy goes off the grid for that amount of time, I don't think he just wakes up one morning and thinks to himself, I'm gonna go back to slaughtering people again. It means that I kill the wicked. What is it about this case that has you risking punishment? We all have sins, Jack, and we all must pay for our sins. I don't think my mother being killed by some psycho 30 years ago should concern you. It does concern me. Don't tell me what to do. You are wicked just like the rest of them. You know what, doctor? I don't think I want to see you anymore!
the sound that saved a wretch like me. The Evangelist is super fun. I think it's still currently on Amazon. And I was just brought in as, as an actor. And I think they gave me a producer credit or something just because I helped them organize a couple of days when I wasn't acting. But that was one that I was primarily an actor. But it was with friends that I had worked with already. And it was super fun because it was a great, crazy role. And I was allowed to grow out my hair and my beard and look ridiculous. I find fictionalized serial killers not as interesting as the real ones. Yeah. Did you do any research about serial killers before you made your movies? Yeah, we. I also have always had kind of an interest, well, we we'll, won't call it an obsession, but a really strong interest in serial mm -hmm. killers. And, and that's another reason why that was so fun. And the idea that this particular character that I was, that I was playing was driven by a misreading of the Bible. And misreading scripture was his reasoning for doing what he did. And also found a role as a, as a police officer to kind of hide it. One of my dearest friends is, is a police officer. So, so having the ability to kind of research and read about serial killers, but also talk to one of my dear friends who is um, a serial killer. Who is a cop. <laughs> he might be too. And, and get at least one side of this character's real perspective from a real human that yeah. does the job is, is super fun. And that's one of the fun things about acting director who was also the writer and I had a really good relationship and he he kind of let me kind of improv some stuff because he felt like I understood the character enough to, to kind of throw in there's a bunch of 70s and 80s television cop show references so he basically said at the end of any any line you can add one of them Starsky and Hutch etc <laughs> so it was fun some people claim that publicizing violent crime or creating movies that romanticize killers really play a negative role over influencing people's moral perceptions and can sometimes create copycats. When real-life tragedies are used for, as an inspiration for box office hit, this depiction of violent criminal behavior might become a muse for viewers that are easily influenced. At least this is what they say. Sure. So what's your take on that notion? I think that we use stories as kind of a, a rehearsal for real life and the stories influence everything that we do. That's not a completely original idea. I'm currently, I just finished reading a book called The Storytelling Animal, which I highly recommend. I forget the author, but the basic premise of this book is that even as kids, we have this innate ability and almost a need to tell stories and, and we dream, et cetera, et cetera. And part of that, this author is positing is that we need that for a rehearsal for real life we can go through some trauma and conflict in within our stories to then hopefully figure out what to do when we really when um, actually, have a situation yeah. and and i think the the ones that kind of ultimately and, and I, you see this with kids every day the ones that can process that and use it they're the ones that end up having kind of a stable life the ones that can't go in the other direction mm. and an example that he gave is hitler's obsession with wagner and and the storytelling of wagner's Music was one of the things that inspired him to be one of the worst people in the history of our world. So I think the stories can be interpreted and used depending on the person. I, I don't think that we can say, hey, uh, all of these stories are going to motivate people to do good or bad. It's, mm. It really, there's a relationship between the receptor and the communicator, and you, you can't always tell what that's going to be. Well, I always felt that reading about those kind of killers kind of prepares me if I ever meet somebody that... There are people I've met that I'm like, that guy's a potential serial killer. Right. You know, right. like, I'm not getting in a car with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, and I like the idea, which I think maybe is why I love this book so much, the idea that we, we kind of use these stories as our little mini rehearsals. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll help us get through the day if we've kind of thought about 
about the possibilities, yeah. right? You know, someone that's kind of heading in that direction can take anything from Grimm's fairy tales to video games and, and use that to fuel whatever it is they want to do. You seem to integrate religion into your horror flicks. What, what religion did you grow up in? Not much. My my mom was Catholic. My on that side of the family is primarily Italian, and I and she was kicked out of Catholic school. So she 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 basically <laughs> said to us, "You do what you want. You if you're interested in this, I, we all your great aunts and uncles will take you to church. If you're not, that's okay too." So there really wasn't a, a strong push, but we became interested in it. And, and the evangelist was an easy one again. Not my story, but it influenced me later because I saw, okay, here's a small little horror movie that can make some money so maybe i could do the same thing and the next one we did was the samaritans which is another um although we don't really get into the kind of biblical um history of the samaritans but the story itself talks a little bit about that somebody people that are maybe trying to do good they think they're trying to do good and and what happens to them now i know as as a former catholic that there were things about that religion that used to scare me i mean the kind of things they told you like don't look in the mirror too much or the devil will come out and get you you know like (laughs) i was scared to death to look in the mirror at night (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And we had relatives that, that would give us more of that if we wanted to. Because I'm kids. Italian just, too. So yeah. yeah, you know, you get um, that kind of and stuff. I, and I think that I was really influenced by, by my mom's experience in Catholic school and her saying, this isn't for me and yeah. it's probably not for you. I think there's a lot in there that, again, like a, like a film, like a violent film, mm-hmm. that, that someone that's kind of going in a certain direction, just kind of pick and choose what they want to, mm-hmm. to, um, to, to reinforce what they already believe. Yeah. It's interesting that one of your reviewers said that the film, The Evangelist, reminded us that the straightest people can be the most twisted. Yeah, yeah. And there are a couple of characters in that story that are perceived by all of their colleagues and neighbors as as just run-of-the-mill good people. Yeah. And they're not. (laughs) What people in your life, who most people might consider to be really harmless, that are maybe really twisted? Oh, wow. And you don't have to name names. Sure, sure. <laughs> I think we start, we get back to what we were talking about before with, with kind of using religion in some mysterious ways. I think that evangelists that collect money from folks and have convinced people that that's the way that they can show their faith. I think those are people that quite often are perceived by their world and their followers as really good moral people. And, and um, I think that they're horribly twisted and, and have helped create the chasm that exists between kind of the believers and non-believers. And I think have made people in the middle that are maybe kind of like some of the stories and like some of the morality and treat it like the fables that that we were taught often as kids turn them off to it and i think that they've they've done a disservice to to that world so i think that's that's certainly one group of people and certainly there are individuals that that are great examples of that 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 we think are not we but the people that follow them think they're really sweet and they're not You address wickedness in your movies. The killer and those who are trying to find him have different definitions of the word. So how do you describe wicked? Oh, wow. What a great question. And that's one that I haven't been asked before. Wicked to me is making that decision to affect people negatively, whether it's violence or uh, physical, emotional. And knowing that you're hurting them. I think that often there are people that think they're doing the right thing and the outcome is possibly negative. And I think that they still might be breaking the law. They still might be doing something that we'd consider wrong. But wicked, I think, is is the adding in the knowledge that, that what this individual, what this character is doing is absolutely hurting somebody else. Yeah. 
I think that awareness is what elevates it to wickedness for me. Do you often have friends and family begging you to give them a part? Yeah, and I'll tell you, uh, the last film we did, Rock, Paper, Scissors, every single person you see, extras, lead, supporting, are all people that either I've worked with before or were friends of friends. I mean, it's such an intense situation when you're shooting a film. Why not have people around you that you like? Sure. I did a movie a couple of years ago with Carlo, and I was so impressed with how organized Which What did was. you do? Clutter luck. Yeah. I, was, I was in that too. Oh, were you? <laughs> yes. I acted in that. But yeah, what a fun and, yeah. and a great, and, and that's what Carlo I, did. I was really so Again, another, impressed with how well it all pulled together. Great people. Great. Yeah. It's fun. It's on YouTube. People check it out. It's clutter mm -hmm. luck. Yeah. How much does it cost to produce a film? If you were trying to, like you said, over a weekend. The range, and I'm not avoiding your question, but the, the range has been, we've done a feature for a couple thousand dollars up to a million. Uh, and everything in between. I think now, those bigger budget films that I talked about, I think now, because of technology, you certainly can make a feature film with five figures. And depending on all these other factors as far as stunts and locations and extras, et cetera, a feature film can be made for, for anywhere from ten to $50,000 for sure. Now, it, it's such a tricky kind of business decision because, of course, the lower you keep that, the more chance you have of making money, but then you have those limitations. So yeah. it's such a tough call. And, I, and I, I do talk to kind of younger filmmakers at festivals about that who have made short films and they want to do a feature. I still think it all comes down to the story. It is the money that you're spending on the screen. Perfect example is at a festival recently, uh, there's a scene in um, Rock, Paper, Scissors where there's the back of an ambulance, but you can't tell what town it's from. It's just an open ambulance. One of the guys at the festival is, oh my gosh, how did you get that? So there's someone that immediately thinks we spent a ton of money on this. And if you can get the money on the screen, I, I think that you have a better chance of finding an audience and making money. What are some of the costs that really surprised you when you were making a movie? My students, so many of them, are they, they could absolutely make a movie that next weekend if they wanted to. What they won't think about is something like insurance. It's not exorbitant, but it's a cost, and it's something you have to have. And, food. And yeah, food. Absolutely, because that was the next thing I was going to say, is how many people do you have there? Are you paying them? If not, you have to feed them. So those are the two that I think get kind of forgotten. To me, the most important thing about filmmaking is is all the planning, all the pre-production, all the, all, the, all the preparation. That's where, um, if people don't know the cost, that's where people don't know the time. Do you have any plans to go back to making horror films? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, one of the things that, I, that I'm working on now with with some collaborators from, from Rock, Paper, Scissors is a web series, which I've never done before. And that's kind of a new medium that I haven't done, but others I've acted in it, like Clutterluck, which which you are also in. I see somebody else's story and, and oh, okay, this is kind of neat. So uh, that's going to be a, that's going to be a horror themed mm -hmm. web series. So in the movie transitions, because I'm moving mm, away from horror yeah, now, sure. you take a whole different route. Yeah. Why did you decide to direct a movie that was based on a true story and essentially go in a real different direction? Transition is a great story that a good friend of mine, Anthony Bradford, came to me and said, hey, I have a story. I'm an actor and I wrote it, but I'm not a director. He asked me to direct it because I had a couple of credits and uh, had some time. He asked me to kind of put together a crew. He had a little bit of a budget and he had a couple of actors in place. Most of the actors actually he got in place because he was a working New York City actor. And it was this great high school lacrosse story about, about a young man who dealt with a medical challenge and still uh, played high school lacrosse and went on to play college lacrosse. So 
it was his story, which I thought was a, was a great story. And also, this was a good friend who who was, like many actors should do, creating their own stories and their own content. Um, I was just helping him tell his story. Besides movies, because we've talked a lot about the movies you've been in, but you've done other acting. You've done television. You've done stage acting. Yeah, I, I uh, when I when I did it in high school, honestly, it was because I didn't have a winter sport. Sophomore year, I had a public speaking teacher, Mr. Mr. Vincent Borelli, who was such an influence on me, and he said, "Hey, you should try out for the musical." I tried out for the Whiz. It was like a flying monkey. It was such a fun experience that that was my start. When I went away to college, I never I. I didn't do it. I didn't act. Midway through junior year, I actually met a guy I went to high school with that was acting. And I thought I didn't really know anyone that was doing it professionally. So I transferred to Montclair and then studied uh, stage acting. I was auditioning while I was at Montclair and my first real professional job was on a soap opera. And that was a whole different animal than than working on a stage. So what a learning experience that was. And and luckily it was around people that were kind and were kind of helping me and teaching me because I didn't know what the hell I could do. I'd never had any training on camera acting at all. Ever. So it was learning on the job and it was uh, it was really, really different but rewarding. Yeah, people say that acting in a soap really gives you chops. It's a machine. What I learned about it, and I, I was just had a few lines in each thing. I did about 12 episodes. But but what I learned was that in the downtime, I was watching these other actors that they just got a script today that they're going to do next week. And this script they got last week. I mean, they are churning out. And they the, the, just the memorization alone was fascinating to me and also so rewarding. And I it was so fun because I was able years later to work with two people that I worked on that soap with. It was all my children. In other capacities and kind of reintroduced myself to them as a director which was super fun yeah unbelievably we've come to our last question oh right this has been a lot of fun it has been now you know you and i have a lot of mutual friends yes. carlo leon holmes elaine vandeville jade green pat scavino how come yeah. we've never met before that is a great question. I think that we we met and we didn't know it when we were on the set of Clutter Luck. That was so much fun, and I know that we've met, but now that we have, we're going to maintain this connection. This was a lot of fun. The second half of that question mm-hmm. is, and do you have a role for me in your next movie? Absolutely. We, we will. Well, the, the next thing we're probably going to shoot is the web series, I think, next summer. It's a three-season web series. And when we do, it'll it'll be the same situation. Everybody that works with us, that with people we know, or people that are friends of our friends. I'll practice screaming and bleeding. Yes, there will be a lot of that. This will go back to horror, and then we'll see. Maybe and and uh, romantic comedy. Uh, gosh, I just don't know that I'm good at it. But but we'll we'll diversify. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Doug. This was a lot of fun. This was great. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back in a year to talk about other things. Okay. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Not So Famous in New Jersey.